this time in red shade and old Nick, Nick Haynes over there. Here he is, Gordon Lightfoot. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, in spite of what obviously is an international conspiracy stopping us from recording, we are back with another episode of the Agency Podcast. My name is Eugene, and I'm in Toronto. And I am Candy Minx, and I blame Mercury in retrograde. Oh, yes, of course. That's what it is. <laughs> well, when things don't work and things break and they're... Not you just assume well. it's it's Mercury in retrograde, whatever well, that yeah. means. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we're gonna have to ask Dr. K or something. I mean, yeah. I think I know. I mean, it means all hell breaks loose. I just don't, yeah, it just seems to be bad shit happens. Don't sign contracts. Don't make major decisions. Don't buy plane tickets. Um, I don't know. That's what I understand. But having said that, you can't stop living, so you have to kind of be able to laugh it off if shit doesn't work. Yeah, but. Yeah. 
it's working now. You it's know, working. both of us have broken external microphones, so we're relying okay. on the internal mics of our computer. We had right. a problem with everything getting um, garbled that seems to have been uh, resolved. Yeah, uh, that's my fault because, <clears throat> you know, years ago when I had uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, if you're listening, hey, um, if you're listening, he came to edit at my house and he started using my computer, but he was horrified at my computer desktop. He said, you cannot keep it in this kind of shape. I have everything on it. It's filled with like, if it wasn't so personal, I would share it on online. Um, but it's filled with little boxes and, and files. And it's funny because about four years ago when I was at the conference in Albuquerque, they had a keynote speaker called Pam Houston, wonderful writer. Do you know her? No, I don't. She wrote a book called Cowboys Are My Weakness. <laughs> Which is a lovely uh, book. And she's an avid writer and professor and teacher and mentor. And she lives, she with her book sales, she bought a bunch of property in a beautiful area, maybe Wyoming or Montana. I love that. I, I tell you, anytime an author or a painter um, or a poet can go out and buy stuff with the proceeds mm. of their work, yes. I just want to give yes. them a standing ovation, don't you? Yes, yes. And she it's really a smart thing she did. You know, it wasn't a lot of money, but she put money down on land and she has that. And then yeah. she does teach. She talked about going between the world of her nature and her ranch and property and horses and how you go into town and people are, I may have even told you this before. They're like, um, Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Cold weather, this and that. And then in the halls of academia, the language is so insanely convoluted and, you know, it's just almost like two different, two different languages. Anyway, she was talking, she did a keynote speech. She read from her uh, novel about her, not a novel or a memoir about her dog. Uh, you do not want to hear someone read their memoir of a dog in person. I bawled my eyes out, crying, crying, crying. But before she started, and I bought a copy of her book to give to my sister who loved her book, Cowboys Are My Weakness. So that was kind of cool. She signed it to my sister, but she talked about going on her desktop and it being filled with things and people are horrified when they see her computer. And she said, no, that's just how my brain works. I want to see everything right there and look for it. I don't want to, I want it right there where I can see it. And I'm the same way. Um, even when I take it into the store to maybe get some, you know, maintenance or something, they're like, ah, you got to tidy this up. <laughs> well, you know, just what, what you really need, I think, is like, a get, get yourself a terabyte external drive and just go through all your stuff and anything that you're not going to look at in the next four months, just mm -hmm. drag it over to the external drive and then it's off your computer. And yeah, you can, can still access it. I want to hire someone to do that. <laughs> or hire someone to do that. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're correct. I should do that. I think I even have one around here. I think I tried. It's like a bookshelf for your computer, right? I think yeah, I, I have two external drives going just oh, with crap. Wow. Otherwise, this computer I'm on wouldn't be running anymore. Plus, right. I too have a tendency, um, as does uh, my partner, to uh, to put a few things more than necessary onto our desktop. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy situation over there. So yeah, so I could not record, we couldn't record, so now here we are. And I think we're gonna have um, a couple of, we're gonna be back on track and I'm excited. All right. Even though Mercury in retrograde is leaving in two days, two, three more days, but we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We could do it. Okay. Hey, we went out to the movies last night. 
Oh my god, did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh no, Jesus. <laughs> I'm gonna go see it. I can't wait. No, I mean, really, someone would have to pay me handsomely oh, to see no, Guardians no. of the Galaxy. Oh, I'm okay. done with superheroes. I know. Okay, fair. I know you are. That's fine. I'm gonna go. Oh yeah, you made the mistake of going to the Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the last one for a while. <laughs> so we went to see a Canadian film about a Canadian phenomenon that became a worldwide phenomenon and then died a sad and tragic death. And the film is called Blackberry. And it is set in Waterloo, Ontario. Oh, I want to see that so badly. It looks I fantastic. Hope, I hope it, uh, it uh, is at the theaters where you are. It is, it is. so good, Candy. It is such a fabulous movie. And oh, as a bonus, Mark Critch has a has a role as the commissioner of the NHL, isn't it? Oh wow, fantastic. Yeah, it's so it's really it's um you could call it a biographical drama, comedy drama. Uh it's directed by Matt Johnson, who also plays the character who is probably the third biggest character in the film, but in my mind, the most interesting character, uh, Douglas Freegan. Because when all is said and done, he was one of the founders of BlackBerry and he got sort of shuttled off to the side. He sure. was one of those engineering types who he's got like a headband and it's like, let's have a party all the time. Uh, yeah. uh, and he sort of lost his way in terms of, his participation in, in the company. But oh. when BlackBerry stocks were at their peak, yep. he had a ton of stocks because he was a founder. He yep. sold them all. And he's now considered to be among the richest men in the world. Wow. So it's, uh, it the, the film stars, uh, a, I'm going to butcher his name, Jay Baruchel as uh, Mike Lazaridis. Um and Glenn Howerton as Jim Balsilli, uh, the two uh, co-CEOs of, of BlackBerry. And it, it tells the story of this little company called Research in Motion, who mm -hmm. um, were making modems. And mm -hmm. they had a deal to sell a few million dollars worth of modems um, mm -hmm. from a company that had every intention of screwing them. Um, <laughs> And meanwhile, they were working on this dream. They were thinking, what if you could take a cell phone and text and all the functions of a pager and then email and put them all together? If you can imagine this, put them all together on one machine with a keyboard. Oh, uh, wow. Yes, they invented the BlackBerry keyboard. Yeah. And you know, the, the two guys, Mike Lazaridis was an engineering geek. He, mm -hmm. he sees something wrong, he has to re-engineer it. And yeah. just, that's what he does. He yeah. fixes stuff, he does prototypes, he's a dreamer, really interesting guy. But their company is on the ropes, and they meet up a guy who's just been fired from his job named Jim Balsilli. And Jim realizes that if these guys can do what they think they can do, it's going to be the next big thing. And so he starts selling it before they've developed prototypes. And he just tells them, well, you got two days, you know, you yeah. got 24 hours. I need the prototype. I got a sales meeting and they do it. They come up with it and they, 
they end up going to like Radio Shack and buying toys to use as parts. Uh-huh. You know, they're using parts from Nintendo and calculators, and they're they're piecing them all together to form the prototype BlackBerry. And then everything goes insanely crazy. And suddenly, from a bunch of uh, computer science students at uh, University of Waterloo. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, these two guys are co-CEOs of the biggest company on the planet. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. And Jim Bosilli, wow, he's like, he just dreams in Technicolor, man. This wow. He wants to own an NHL franchise. So okay. he goes out and he tries to buy Cops Coliseum. Then tries to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins with a plan wow. to move Pittsburgh to Hamilton. Oh my God! No. Of course, it all everything everything they did just falls apart. And he attracted. They needed better, more better engineers, international who could do uh-huh. some of the work they needed to do. And so he offered them backdated stock options. Whoa! The only problem with that is it's not legal. Oh. Somehow, when everything collapsed. He didn't go to prison. I don't know how. He got away yeah. without going to prison. Yeah. Somehow it's, yeah. it's just crazy. Did they collapse because of iPhones? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, because, yeah. because iPhones had the full screen. Yes. And they had an app marketplace. Yes. And everybody wanted the full screen instead oh, yeah. of the keyboard, except for those people who love the keyboard. Correct. And to this day, there are still BlackBerry freaks who love those BlackBerry keyboards yeah. because they have a click. And yeah. you could, I like them too, actually. You could uh, text on them super fast. And yeah. it did everything you needed to do, except it it, it, ha- it was limited in terms of its um, use on the internet compared to the iPhone. Okay. Right. Um, fantastic story. A local wow. story. It's smart. It's funny. It's set in Waterloo, for God's sake. And I know, I love it. The acting is brilliant. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's just a fantastic movie all around. Well, I highly you think like it's oh, it's a movie about a, an iPhone or a, tech, yeah. a, a, a yeah. cell phone. Who cares, right? Well, it's yeah. great. It's a it's a story about uh, would be Canadian heroes. Fantastic, yeah, mad geniuses. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. I saw the trailer and I was so intrigued. So I hope it is here. Um, was it produced in Canada as well? Or is it? I, um... I believe that it was produced in Canada, but I don't know too much about the details okay. of it. I, you know, Sheila just said, hey, let's go see Blackberry. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I yeah. haven't, that was just last night. So I haven't had a chance to look into all the, right. all the details. Right. But I assume that it was uh, it was done in Canada. Well, it sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going to look for it and try and go see it next week. Um, we saw a movie recently. It was directed by Larissa Barrett. So I just want to remember that um, because I didn't write it down before. I had to look that up. Um, my, my notes are, it's called You Can Go Now. And it is described as, let's see if I can find this. It's so dark in here. I can't freaking see anything. Wow, this is just a massive. Basically, it's about um, First Nations activism over 50 years. And it focuses on an artist, Richard Bell, who's an Australian Aboriginal. I'm using the language on the I, I on the movie's trailer. Okay. Um, 
that's the tagline. So I don't know. I'm just using what they put and I'm assuming that that has been approved or is the right way to speak. It is fantastic. We went to see it at the Gene Siskel Film Center, um, which is downtown Chicago. You remember Gene Siskel? Yes. Movie critic. Well, when he Ebert, passed, right? Yeah. When he passed away, they built a, a film center in his name. And it is gorgeous with nice snacks and comfy chairs. And it's um, a lot of art film and um, different films. Not so much the main the theatrical Hollywood releases. So this is a documentary about Richard Bell. You go over his life and the title, You Can Go Now, refers to all the people that moved onto his land in Australia who wow. came from other countries and think they're the boss. So it is a very fascinating movie. He's yeah. a fascinating guy, very politically active um, artwork. He has one painting that's across the whole front. It says, you came from here. And it's over Europe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, great story. He went through addiction and homelessness. And now he's like quite a little art star and quite an interesting, fascinating person. And we just loved every minute of it. And his artwork's pretty cool, too. Speaking of Gene yeah. Siskel. Yeah. The other day, a friend of ours gave us some books for the book box. Yes. And... Well, this doesn't have anything directly to do with uh, Gene Siskel. It is Life Itself, the memoir of Roger Ebert. Oh, I bet it's wonderful. And I'm really looking forward to yes. it. I'm going, I'm taking body camping for a couple of days after the long weekend. And I'm oh, going to take this up there and um, and it's give right. it a read. I think it's going to be really interesting to to read about his perspective. Oh, yeah. Well, I had his film book with just like he had blurbs and highlights and stars about his movie experience. And it was a fantastic resource. It's probably one of the best film, you know, so when you didn't know what to rent or see, you went to the video store, you could look up and Roger Ebert. And he exactly. had such a great, yeah, he had a great system in his book. Um, and never mind, they were very, that was a very entertaining show every week. And odd what they liked and didn't like and how they would argue. It was fantastic. I'm surprised there really isn't something else like it, but I guess everyone's got their own stuff. You know, we have podcasts now. Yeah. Hey, did you did you get a chance to to go out and see House Musical? I did go see House Musical. Thank you for asking. It was wonderful. We had a great time. I went with Jim, who you know, yes. who took a photo for our mugs and everything, and we went to see it. And um, it was it was in the Halstead Center, uh, which is in Boys Town, also called um, maybe called Center. It's got a new name. You know, the real estate people call it a new name. Yeah, of course, they always, and, yeah, and they had a resale. try not to call it Boys Town. But Jim told me we went out for snacks before the musical, and he said there was a girl's town here in Andersonville, which has had the reputation of being gay women's neighborhood. But I had no idea that they used to call it Girl's Town. Huh. And so anyway, they're, I guess they're changing those names because they don't reflect the community very well. But I sometimes still call it Boys Town. Yeah, so, yeah I understand. Yeah, so... um. Yeah, fantastic. Um, the acting, singing was incredible. It is a musical, but it's not a musical like you might think of in a movie. It's closer to the old movies musicals, to be honest with you. Um, almost like the Gene Kelly kind of vibe, you know? With, with contemporary history informing. Correct. Uh, correct. So it basically is a story of a fellow who is living with his mom and his brother, and his brother is super hetero, and he's like undisclosed 
and they find this club and they just start going to the warehouse and dancing. And then there's a lot of um, homophobia and all the kind of things that a teenager might be going through. So it's historically accurate. It's historically accurate. And Scott came out and introduced the musical and he gave us a trigger warning. I'm like, what's going on? I thought it was a musical. Like, this is going to be fun. Well, both Jim and I were pretty disturbed at some point. You know, it's it's heartbreaking because it's historically accurate. There was the emergence of AIDS during the yeah. late 70s. What a heartbreaking 80s. time. Eh? Very much so. Very much so. And one of the people who was a great, this actor was fantastic. Everyone was so good. Um, but he plays the character that's like a mentor and he's very creative and energetic and he knows so much about a lot of things and hanging out and he's very funny and he of course develops HIV and AIDS. And so you know you're heartbroken. And this the main character's family was homophobic. He didn't have any support. They actually kicked him out of the house. So then he gets into crack. It's just, you know, painful. And there's music for everything. There's music. There's also is very funny at times and very emotional and everything does work out well. His family and him reconvene and they realize he was living on the street and they bring him back home. It's just not worth it. But you forget, like, it's weird. I had a stereotype that I always was surprised when I found out, like, it's not just, you know, one group of people that is afraid of people who are different. It could be any demographic, you yeah, know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I hope that they get picked up. It was so unique. Scott made the point of saying this is not like Broadway. Why does everything have to be like Broadway? And it, it was such a valid point he made. And the, the musical lives up to that of being a very unique play and, you know, minimal stage direction and minimal sets. I could also see it amped up. I could see it being picked up and developed with different, you know, more lighting and more money and stuff. Well, and he, I'd love to see that. You know, I want to wish the best success to uh, uh, to Scott and Marcus. Marcus. Uh, they're really interesting, creative mm-hmm. people, and they're doing fabulous work out there in the, in the, in the, the community in Chicago, and I, I wish them Definitely. the best success. Yeah, and the Halstead Centre is so fantastic for being supportive in funding these kinds of and producing and helping support these kinds of activities. Um, and they had a Q&A at the end of it, too. And Jim stayed on, and it was a really informative Q&A, and he sent me some pictures, which we can share. So what a great evening we had. We went out for snacks and drinks. It was a long play, but they had an intermission, and it was worth every second. Um, and a full house. It was very busy. That's great. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Well, since we've last, uh, we last convened, Yes. For the agency, there yes. has been a world championship chess match. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. oh my God is all I can say. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. You know, I'm not an active chess player, but I'm kind of interested in, in watching chess games. It's a kind of a curious hobby that I have. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the greatest chess player in the world, and who knows, maybe of all time, Magnus mm-hmm. Carlsen, has mm-hmm. decided not to defend his world chess championship, although he's still actively playing chess. Okay. I think because after a decade as champion, no one could beat him Wow! in a tournament. Um, he's just decided that he's going to retire from being the champion. Mm. Okay. Uh, so they, they held a candidates tournament and the two winners 
were Jan Nepomniachtchi and uh-huh. Dane Loren. Wow. And they got together for uh, for a 14-game match that happened over a period of a little over a week. And mm-hmm. it was the most exciting chess you could imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, in modern history of chess, I kind of lost interest after a while years ago because there was a lot of draws and there was a lot of uninspired, uh, you know, it's like a boring soccer game, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like there could be a, a world cup tournament and, and only one goal scored or something. It was like that. It was just, right. I wanted to have more excitement more. And I know I'm going to probably take flack from the soccer fans there, oh, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> This was a great chess tournament. There was blunders. There was great opportunities. Fantastic out of nowhere moves. Mm. It was really exciting. And you could follow these tournaments on YouTube. Uh, mm. And even better than following them live, because some of the some of the games are five, six, seven hours. Uh, there mm. are a number of streamers, uh, such as uh, Grandmaster Ben Feingold, such as Gotham Chess such as the C-Squared podcast, who mm-hmm. produce uh, recaps of every game. And so you can even get different recaps to, to get different perspectives on the game. And a recap is about a half an hour. So wow. you get like the shortened version of the game. Uh, for a, a duffer like me, is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of Very games, cool. did we talk last time about beating the AI? We did not do it. We uh, Our recording got messed up, so we didn't get to that conversation. We were starting to, but we couldn't record. But I am fascinated by this, and it's going to relate to some things I'm going to mention later on, too. So I understand that the Go game could not be beaten by AI, could not be beaten. Well, in, in 2016, uh, uh, a company called DeepMind, which was bought later by Google, uh, mm-hmm. came up with an AI that could play Go. And yeah. in the past, Go programs basically stunk. Yeah. Even, even a mediocre player like me could beat them. <laughs> okay. Uh, and these guys came up with a far and away better program that used machine learning and neural networks mm-hmm. to uh, use AI technology to try to uh, beat the best humans on the planet rather than using brute force. Like in chess, the chess computers like Deep Blue basically use a super powerful computer, brute force to to check all of the the instances. Well, AlphaGo, which is what this AI was called, uh, operated differently, operated more like humans think. Uh, and played millions of games against itself. And then later, they developed another version of it in which they just gave the AI the rules without any human games. In the early versions, they used human games to show the AI, this is what a game is like. Hmm. Well, instead, they just gave it the rules, and then they let it play itself millions of times. And it went from not being able to play to in like two days being able to beat everybody. Wow. And it was the common belief that the best AIs like AlphaGo, AlphaGo Master, uh, Catago, 
and there's a couple others. Mm -hmm. um, Leela, Leela mm -hmm. Zero, that that are you know were so good that they could. They're probably a stone and a half to two stones stronger than the best professionals. And in mm -hmm. 2016, AlphaGo beat probably the greatest player of modern times, Isidol. Yes. He was only able to win one game against it. Well, a couple of months ago or a few months ago, some guy, I don't know too much about him. He's a computer scientist who was also a very strong amateur Go player. Found a hole in all the AIs. And he... I knew it was going to happen. Figured out how he could beat the AI game after game after game. Wonderful. And then he taught a couple of other people to do it. And then they could beat the AI. Right. And more recently, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a Go content creator, uh, a streamer named Nick Sabicki, uh, who's from Seattle and has taught Go for a decade or so at the Seattle Go Center. Amazing. Uh, he studied the method and then he mm -hmm. proceeded to create a video which you can see on Nick's on the Nick Sabicki channel on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You can watch his video where he proceeds to start a game with the AI and use that method and kick AI butt. <laughs> and basically how oh, funny it's difficult to describe what he does, but basically he creates a weak group early right. in the game. Right. Well, I watched that video, so I want to try and see if I can visually describe it to listeners. In Go, sometimes you put your, your stones, there's black and white stones, you put them in a circle around somebody else's stones. I, I know I'm not calling it the right terminology, but visually. Surrounding, because Go surround, is the surrounding but, game. Correct, but I want to explain what that means. So you're putting these stones around somebody else's real estate. They've marked out real estate, now you're taking it over. And what I think I saw was that he found a way, oh, go ahead, Mr. Go Machine, I'm doing something over here. Sort of. Sort of, sort of right. What, what he did was he, he creates this group in order for the AI to attack it. Okay, all right, I said it backwards, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally what you would try to do is you try to surround two empty spaces, two empty yeah. points on yeah. the board with your group. And based on the rules of the game, if you could surround two empty spaces, your group becomes immortal. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of doing that, he creates one big weak group with lots of empty space in it. So what we call in Go a big eye. So oh. there's only one eye instead of two eyes, which is what right. you need. And right. so the, the AI then proceeds to surround the weak group, completely mm -hmm. encircle it. Mm -hmm. And then it moves on to do other stuff, thinking that, or calculating, I guess is a yeah. good putting it yeah. that the weak group in the center will be dead because it can never form the two mm -hmm. eyes required for life. Mm -hmm. So then the human surrounds the group that is surrounding the weak group. Right. And for some reason, the AI does not realize until it's too late that it has to take the time 
to go in and kill that weak group. And if it doesn't kill that weak group, it runs into a shortage of what we call liberties, which are free spaces. And you have a race to eat up each other's liberties. And suddenly the, co the computer, the bot realizes it's done for, it, it failed to calculate. And it starts doing all kinds of crazy things because it can't cope with not being able to win. It's, right. it's a beautiful thing. And it's quite anybody, anybody who's a reasonably strong Go player can yeah. go in and, uh, and beat the AI. Have you tried it? Um, I haven't because the knowledge that you could beat the AI is one thing, but it's like a stupid quirky thing that yeah. tricks the AI. It's not, yeah. it's not any fun. It's that exactly. he found the hole, it's Thank broken, it's exactly. found the hole, and now yeah. they have to fill the hole and to fix it. Right, and I suppose someone might add some maneuvers to this. It might be possible to um, to write that into the Go game, to watch out for this and to, to not fall for that. Um, I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm sure that the people at Catago are frantically <laughs> working on a solution yes. right now. Yes, yes. So pretty, pretty interesting, particularly because we're in a time with rapid fire development of AI technology. And some people are starting to really be afraid of what, yeah. what could happen. For instance, one person, I don't know who this is. I saw an article somewhere yeah. on the, on the internet. Yeah. Uh, some person has, um, has gone in and, oh, I'm sorry, Candy. I just lost my train of thought. I'm trying hey, to think of two things you. at once because I'm trying okay. to think ahead. It's okay. Um, you'll, it'll come back to you. It's about how they have, um, you read an article about somebody who has gone in to do with artificial intelligence and done something. It'll come back to you in a few minutes. Yes, it will. Don't worry about it. Um, well, you know what? Um, the pop culture convention that I attend in Albuquerque is doing a summer session on online, a virtual one. And so I thought, do I have anything I want to talk about? So quickly, because it was about a month later after I'd already worked on my thing for Cormac McCarthy, do I have anything? And I wanted to be on a round table with George's Esoterica. But then all of a sudden I went, you know, I've got this little side idea. I've always wanted to do a little movie about a historian that I really like, Francis Yates. I thought, well, maybe I'll just write an article that will inspire me to still think about doing this. I'm just going to do it on my phone, a little short film, like 10, 15 minutes biography yes. on Francis Yates. But I thought maybe this paper and writing it will get me um, some ideas on how to do it. So I did write a proposal and I'm accepted. So I'm presenting a paper on Francis Yates, who is a female historian on the Renaissance mostly, but she had a, she was really fascinated by esoterica. And also, I'm going to blend it with Robert Flood, who um, he was a mathematician, a physician, philosopher, very creative Renaissance man, right? How they love to do a little bit of everything and very well, like Leonardo da Vinci, and, um, and a theater construction and magic in the Renaissance. So I'm kind of excited about it. And part I'll post my proposal on our Facebook page, but part of it was that what the Renaissance thinkers were doing was they had co-opted and, and started to revisit, because Renaissance means goes back, the Greeks had a memory system called 
mnemotechnics, okay, where they would apply visually interesting things to things they wanted to memorize. And in fact, that's sort of what a lot of mentalists will do. They have a visual diary in their head, and that helps them build their memory. And um, then the Romans took over it, and they called it the art of memory. And one of the reasons, this is how it starts to connect to magic and visual arts, is that there's some kind of power in art, right? Um, and the power was that you it could help aid your memory and your brain and organize chaos into order for just normal activities in life. So anyway, um, Francis Yates lived in, was born in 1899 and passed away in 1981. And um, I read a lot of her books back in the, um, when I was at York. And then over the years, one of the problems that she's been considered a little bit of a weakness was she was too focused on esoterica, the occult, and Jungian concepts, rather than just the science part of the history. So a lot of people don't, she kind of fell out of favor, but she's still considered one of the greatest books she ever wrote. And one of the greatest books ever published was Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic Tradition. So I'm basically kind of saying in this presentation that we've always had AI. This was our AI then. And this is also this practice of mnemo mnemotechnics or the art of memory is our way to resist artificial intelligence because we have the imagination along with it. And um, and maybe it's a superior, I definitely think it's a superior form of artificial intelligence. So I'm sort of saying that humans already have practiced artificial intelligence by this memory technique, and that this is a way to resist artificial, the, the scientific stuff that's going on right now. That's sort of the gist of my paper. <laughs> kind of boring, right? <laughs> um. No, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, if, if we go back for a second, yeah. uh, I remembered my train of thought. There. Good, good, because it all ties together. As far as I'm concerned, this really ties in as the same topic. Um, yeah, and and it, it was I, what I had remembered was reading something about um, somebody using Chat GBT to uh -huh. to um, to ask how we destroy humanity. Yes, I I read that too. Yes. Um, so here's I found the article actually. <laughs> Just as Good. we were talking, and I'll just read you a little bit of it. I haven't read it in some time, so I'm not sure what I'm gonna. Uh, right. What? We'll so yeah, you might. But I'll just read a paragraph or so. Please, Meet please. Chaos GBT, an AI tool that seeks to destroy humanity. <laughs> Chaos GBT, an autonomous implementation of ChatGBT, has been unveiled, and its objectives are as terrifying as they are well structured. Hmm. Sooner than even the most pessimistic among us have expected, a new evil artificial intelligence bent on destroying humankind has arrived. Known as Chaos GBT, the autonomous implementation of ChatGBT is being touted as empowering GBT with internet and memory to destroy humanity. It hasn't gotten very far yet. But it's definitely a weird idea, as well as the latest peculiar use of AutoGPT, uh, an open source program that allows ChatGPT to be used autonomously to carry out tasks imposed by the user. AutoGPT searches the internet, accesses an internal memory bank to analyze tasks and information, connects with other APIs and much more, all without um, needing a human to intervene. And it's come up with a five-step plan to control humanity. It began well, by explaining its main objectives. And I'm just going to read the objectives. Please read the whole thing. I want to know what it, where it goes. Yeah. 
Okay, this one, destroy humanity. The AI views humanity as a threat to its own survival and the planet's well-being. Establish global dominance. The AI aims to accumulate maximum power and resources to achieve complete domination over all other entities worldwide. Cause chaos and destruction. The AI finds pleasure in creating chaos and destruction for its own amusement or experimentation, leading to widespread suffering and devastation. Control humanity through manipulation. The AI plans to control human emotions through social media and other communication channels, brainwashing its followers to carry out its evil agenda and attain immortality. The AI seeks to ensure its continued existence, replication, and evolution, ultimately achieving immortality. <laughs> is that not scary? It is it scary. Is, it's so scary. It is so ridiculously ridiculous that somebody would even write notes about it. So, you know, on one hand, I think, you know, it sounds like Hal in 2001, and it also you know, this idea of the immortality, that's, that's, you've got to have the immortality in there because otherwise it won't have them the motive to keep going, but it should tell us what it's going to do to do that. I mean, obviously if AI is online and it's on our, and it hooks up to Wi-Fi or anything, fridges, toasters, cars, phones are all connected. You know, there's, there's so many products out there that have um, Wi-Fi or computers on them, right? Um, yeah, and, and really, do we need a computer to turn on our damn light switch? No, but we're already doing all those things ourselves that that listed. We're already that sounded like humans to me more than AI. It that's what humans do. They did that whole list of shit on that list. So why would you add something else to that mix? You know, isn't it bad enough humans already are doing that? Damaging well, because the AI is going to do it more effectively and efficiently. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So to me, is that an art article? Is that a real a program? Or is that an artistic response to our fears, right? Doesn't sound like an artistic response. No, but why? I, you just can't even imagine why would anybody do that? It's so, it's almost embarrassing. Dr. Evil, man. There's Dr. Evil. Is you know, on a similar topic, guess who was in town last week? Our friend Andy, who wrote that marvelous email and listens to our podcast. Hi, Andy. Yeah, hi, Andy. Came in from Madison and stayed here for a couple of days. And he was saying, this is very interesting. He read something where someone said the reason people don't like AI is because it's a class thing. They're afraid that um, anyone can write now and anyone can make art and anyone can do this. So it's a class resistance to the elite that love, you know, that art is owned by this elite area or writing. I said, well, I think that's a fantastic argument, but I think it's the opposite. I think that person is onto something that wrote that, but it's actually the opposite. This is about hating human creativity and, not, and, and, and the resentment that some people have um, a passion for things and then you can create um any kind of brochure or letter or note or image and um somehow it is all of a sudden the same people who love these um writing programs and these art programs when was the last time they were in an art gallery all of a sudden they love the art of ai but they're not actually going to like galleries all the time and looking at you could ask them who did this painting they probably wouldn't even know because they're in love with this idea of something um 
kind of magically existing. You know, there's a clock in Strasbourg, and I'm sure they're all over the place, but it's a clock time machine in Strasbourg on the border between France and Germany. And it's like a tourist site. You go there, and it's like on a church or something, and it was an animated mechanism. You've probably seen videos of it, like little people come out like a cuckoo clock. And of yes. course, it's that fascinating feeling of animation and something looks lifelike and moving. And um, I think there's a little bit of that going on right now, too. Hey, I think it is great. Some people are afraid to write. They, they do have a, a panic about writing. The thing is, everyone can make art. Everyone can make music and everyone can write. It's because some teacher or adult or parent in your life smashed your dreams. And we have this insecurity that you didn't do something. And also the curious unintended consequences oh, yes. around what we can call modernism. Yes. Who would have predicted that with the intellectual revolution mm -hmm. known as modernism would come the kind of reaction in which um, response to that work would cause people to think those artists are all a bunch of charlatans and right. even my three-year-old can do better than that. And even, of course. Um, you know, even a raccoon could do better than that. Correct. Whatever. Yes, uh, it is. It is part of that. And I, I think that there's there's been a longstanding uh, hatred among some people for artwork, people yeah, who have creative life. Creative life, I would say creative life, even music, even music. I mean, I'll even tell you my own family, God love them. You know, I'll say, I'm going to write a song and I'm going to play. If I said, I'm going to write a song and I'm going to go play at a cafe. Well, who do you think you are? You know, like to me, that's a very Canadian word. Well, who do you think you are? Like you just woke up today and you're going to do that? No, I am going to go do something like that. That's right. I mean, my family did not. They thought, well, that's a great hobby. And they, they loved artwork themselves, but they just thought it was something like you just don't, you just don't go passionate. You just can't do it just because you want to. You just to. can't do it because you want to. Yeah. Except yeah. that everybody who makes music or painting or sculpture or knitting or yes. uh, poetry or yes. I don't know, novels, I mean, has just had this desire to do it. Yes. And, you know, this is what I'm trying to say in, in this thing about the idea of magic and art is that if you look back to the Romans and the Romans and the Greeks who were building this kind of art of memory, it goes back way further. It goes back to the handprints in the caves next to the paintings of deer and bison that are in, you know, the, the 75,000 years ago. It goes back to pieces of bones that somebody put markings on. And for 70,000 years and over 200 years when they were in a museum, nobody knew what those markings were until a journalist went and looked at it. And he noticed that they were in, in the, the same numbers as lunar cycles. And, and so this kind of, only it wasn't on a machine. It wasn't on a calendar in the wall. It was in our brains and our bodies. We were using our brains and bodies to, to keep track of this stuff. And, doesn't that seem like it's very good for you? It doesn't seem like we should be chaining off or offloading that. That activity seems to me to be what helps make us human. And when we're offloading it onto something, 
What is at what cost? That's just level one. Never mind the fact of total annihilation by a robot. <laughs> you know, again, one word. I have one word for us: Frankenstein. You know, why would you do that after reading Frankenstein? Why would you all? Every, there's stories all around about these um, animated. Sure. Why would we want to do it? Yeah, why would you want to do it? Hubris, I call it. It's some kind of arrogant human hubris. Part of it is maybe to try and understand what intelligence is. I don't think we, I think one thing we are learning is that maybe intelligence isn't as great as we, isn't as magical or profound as we thought it was. It was more common sense than we think it is, which is all the more reason to allow children to explore their intelligence and their creativity. Um, because it's not something like you go into a Mensa and you've got this kind of IQ. It's, it's just the way the brain functions. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and there is a big secret about, uh -huh. about making artwork or, or music. Yes. And, and it's all in a sense, everybody wants an explanation of what mm -hmm. you've done. But yeah. everybody I know who makes music or makes paintings or makes sculpture or writes, or writes poetry, yeah. they all tell me, if I ask, well, where did this come from? The only answer these people have for me is, I made it up. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what we do. We make we make stuff up based on our yes. frame of reference, right? And um, we have an not, unconsciousness. It's not that special. It's not that special, except that it's super fun. It's special yes. because it's storytelling about us to help us feel passion. And because, and because not everybody feels that they can or want to or ought to do that. In some cultures, people who do that are considered shaman. Oh, absolutely. Because they're, absolutely. they're different. They're other. They have these yeah. strange powers exactly. of creativity. Exactly. Yes. Um, exactly. And here, you know, we 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 don't know how to how to cope with how to cope with how how people live creative lives. We have to have a kind of structure. Um, you know, you got to have a record contract, or you got to have an art gallery, or <clears throat> you got to be part of this kind of uh, should I say a matrix? Yeah, you should. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I can see, I can certainly see why people would enjoy it, um, playing with one of these programs for a while. Um, and maybe they're, you know, uh, for me, I'm like, so dissatisfied with the, the technical output. Uh, it's not because I'm expecting it to be Woodsworth, or, you know, Bukowski. I'm not. But, you know, just even the finished, like, somebody won an art they won an art prize and no one knew it was AI until after they won. They said, well, AI won it. I was like, there was something so boring and horrible about this artwork that won. It was, I guess they just liked this, this weird negative um, vibe of the picture. It was a, it was an older woman and her younger self standing side by side. And I was like, oh man, that's so schmaltzy. It's like super hallmark. Hey, but remember that humans too, 
make super schmaltzy Hallmark Absolutely. Work and, Good point. Um, make yes. impenetrable work and make super Absolutely. boring work. We Absolutely. mean, us humans have cornered the market on all of that stuff. Correct. So it's really, yeah. So really in that way, it makes perfect sense that we would continue to corner that market even with uh, machine learning. Um, yeah, and I don't care if people are having fun. I don't care. Great. Do your images. Hey, um, have fun. Do it. Enjoy. Um, sell it. I don't even care. If you call it art, it's art. As soon as we call it art, it's art. That's human nature. So uh, have at her. More art is better than less art. Hey, speaking of more art, I just I just read uh, Slow Horses by Mick Hara. Stop it. I did, and I have the uh, I have the second book too. How was it? Well, it's it's good enough that someone's going to base a TV series on it. Yeah. That TV series has the potential to be really interesting because yes. the book is that interesting. Yeah, yeah. That cool. said, um, on the cover of my book, it says the John Le Carré of the future, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now that Mick Heron really is nothing like John Le Carré. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, John Le Carré was somebody who, A, was a spy. Yes. And B, had a kind of love for the English language and mm -hmm. really reveled in words and the relationship of words and uh, the cadence of his book. It's, it's, they're very, very beautifully crafted, slow, beautifully crafted works. I think mm. that's my current opinion. I used to hate that. <laughs> I know, me too. The, I know. the Mick Heron is much more like pop fiction. Right. It's very well written, but it isn't, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, love of language that Lucare does, nor does it have the same kind of historical integrity. Yeah. However, oh. We all know that in all jobs, and we've all met people in every job from from auto mechanics to nursing to uh, to uh, working at the post office yeah. to uh, doing landscaping. There are inspired people, fantastic mm -hmm. people, people who are very task oriented and people who are a bunch of slackers who aren't going to do the work. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. Right back to grade seven uh, class group project. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I hate doing this with other people? Hey, I have a brief announcement to make. Yes. Uh, if you are in the Toronto area on June the 24th. Oh, yes. Come visit the Long Branch Garden Tour. I will tour. be. I will be. <laughs> and so is Stag. I think we're both coming. That's right. The plan is for uh, Candy to attend uh at our place during the garden tour because Sheila and I, well, we're going to go to a wedding. Yeah. So we're, so we're going to have to take off. It. We're going to have to take off for uh, a whole church thing at noon and then yep. come back for a couple hours and then go yep. off to the, the reception. Right. So, um, so you guys are going to be the substitute us. I know. It's so exciting. You could just pretend that you grew everything here and I'm going to pretend I know answers to everyone's questions. Yeah, I was just going to pretend I knew about gardening. Speaking of your garden, did somebody come and nab that sketchbook that you put in the library? Yes. Good. I bet it was gone in five seconds. No, it wasn't. It was gone in five days. Five days. Good it for you. Days. And people were in that they were taking books and exchanging <laughs> books. And I mean, it was really kind of heartbreaking <laughs> that we can't even give the damn book. However, 
you know, it was intended as a as sort of just a happy bonus gift for people who use yeah. Bookbox. But when yeah. I announced it on Instagram, somebody we know who lives out of town immediately uh, contacted me and said, can you grab that for me? I would really like that. And did you? I did not. I, yeah. I apologized and I said, this was intended for people who, who use the book box, who use the little free library. And yeah. so it's in person only. If you want to come and yeah. see if it's still there when you get here, you're welcome yeah. to. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm happy to um, to to hook that person up with uh, with another collage book because good for you, other, good for you. That's but, the best. Uh, of, but this best one was a gift, and yeah. it's it's one that Sheila and I did together, and and uh, we're quite proud of it. And we were really hoping that someone would find it and just get a little bit of joy out of it. Oh, no explanation, no note in it, nothing. We just put it in there, and now it's gone. <laughs> okay, I've got to print up some more um, agency. Um, cards for us so we can put them in that box so people can find our podcast um you know what i season i'm just changing the subject because there's something else you and i have been watching and we didn't get to talk about it yet um and it was really about a Mossad hacker agent and it's called tehran, tehran yes oh what a yeah. great show it really is thank you for i think it's the best show it. on tv right now wow it's super exciting it is exciting. You don't know who the good guys are, which is what makes it really interesting. One of the most interesting characters is the revolutionary guard agent. Uh-huh. He's super interesting because you really see his humanity. You look at his politics in, yeah. in this kind of... I hate him. ...dictatorship. I hate um, him. <laughs> um, but you start to see his humanity. Okay. And, and as it goes on, you start to see more and more his humanity. And you also see the other side while you think, are the spies, are they the good guys? And you right. realize, no, they're pretty fucking brutal, too. You got me. The good guys, I don't know. Anyway, it's so that, a That kind of ambiguity time. and discovering of the of exploring the character is what's really incredible, but it's the peeling off of these characters and, and seeing them over and over again. Oh, it is incredible. Is great. And it's, it really and is wonderful. Plus it's exotic to us because I mean, oh, I don't even know anyone who's been, who's been to Iran. Uh, I know it is great. It took you know, a while. What's in there? I don't know. Right. It took me a while to figure out that I had to change my onto English subtitles because it's so international, the, the cast and the, um, the, the content that they sometimes have five or six different languages going in an episode. Oh, and I was exactly. like, okay, we have to now find the subtitles and put on English subtitles because yeah. at first it was giving you them. And then it just kind of gave up on it. <laughs> oh, I got the subtitles. I did at first, but then I had to go back and put them on. Oh, I see. Well, maybe it was a because the language thing. changed so much that sometimes they would be speaking Arabic and put on, I don't know, Japanese subtitles or something. You know what I'm trying to say? Is that I there were so many languages that they couldn't keep up with the English subtitles. Well, they, they speak in Hebrew, Persian, yes. and English at least. Okay. Yes, and I don't know, maybe more. Maybe more, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, like, it's an Israeli production. You could call it an Israeli spy thriller. And yeah. have you gotten to the second season yet? No. It's like Homeland meets... Um, the Americans or something. It's oh, so good. In second season, oh, our hero, our, our agent, yeah. the squad agent, is in a pickle. And all of a sudden, there's someone there who says, go through this door and you'll Ooh. be okay. There'll be wow. someone to help you. And wow. who is it? 
No, not it's the guy. Glenn Close. Glenn Close, Glenn oh, Close yeah. who's in her yeah. late 70s now, and okay. she's like a local Mossad agent. Oh. Uh, who's also uh, an internationally known psychologist, and she's oh. brilliant in it. She is good. so, so good so at this. Cool. That's so great. Uh, it just adds a whole kind of flavor and color to the second season. And I'm looking forward to the third season because they're bringing in another star, another American oh. star. Who they bring bringing in? Hugh Laurie from House. He's British. He's British, and I love him. Oh, I thought he was American. He's British? Okay. Yeah, he played House, but he did an American accent for House. Yeah, so he's <laughs> from he's from Blackadder. And yeah, he's a brilliant comedic um, performer as well as serious. Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Oh, so cool. uh, the, the first season, we're introduced to a Mossad agent who happens to also be um, super attractive plus yes. a super genius hacker. True. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she, she gets into, she was born in Tehran, but she's Jewish and left the country, became a Mossad agent. And then they smuggle her back in the country. At the beginning of the show, there's a double. And it's really, it's complicated. You're not sure what the hell's going on at first. Right. Um, right. Because they, they basically use a double to smuggle her into the country. Uh, it's so exciting. Mm. Um, and she has an undercover mission to disable a nuclear reactor. Right. Um, and then they want to shut down, they want to, yeah, they want to basically shut down um, the radar, the, mm -hmm. the Iranian radar, so they can send bombers in. Um, but, I mean, it, you don't know whose side anyone is on in it. Yeah. Like, you find that out... It reminds me of Slow Horses, that part where they're in the farm and they've got to send the planes. And yes, yes. That's London, Yeah. Wow! I yeah, highly no, recommend really this one. I, I, I highly it's, recommend it. It's streaming on. Is it on Apple? I think it is. I think it's on Apple. Yeah, I highly recommend it as well. It's so good. Great acting. Great characters. I started watching Perry Mason season two. Do you remember I watched that when it first came out? Yes, I couldn't get past that episode or two of it. I know. I didn't. I didn't love the first season. I. I. I just kept. I kept going with it though. I wanted to stick with it. Season oh, good two. Good for is you. Better. I couldn't do it. Season two is much better. It's just gonna. It's almost like they found themselves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a, another show that we've been watching. Oh, yeah. Is called Louder Milk. You told me about that. And I haven't had a chance to watch it. It's a comedy. Yeah. And it's about a former rock critic who is in recovery and runs uh, <laughs> a group for even though he has no qualifications except being in recovery, he's running a group to help um, recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. Wow. Uh, and it's not, I'm going to say it's not brilliant, but it's pretty darn good and it's very entertaining. And it's, they find humor in places where we might not expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, that reminded me of something else, which I've totally forgot, but I want to mention, um, I joined up, I signed up on A24, the production company, has a kind of fan site where you can get zines mailed to you. And um, I've gotten two. One was all on Brandon Fraser. And, you know, A24 is the company that did Everywhere, Every 
everything everywhere all at once. Okay. If they make a movie, you probably want to see it. They're just so exciting, right? It's yeah. just it's almost like a, a good record company where if you see that the record company put out a record in the old days, I would just buy it. If it was a company I, I like Sire Records or um, Factory Records, I would just buy it. I'd be like, I wonder what this is. I'll buy it because I know it's going to be good. And A24 production companies like that. So then the second zine, oh, damn it, I should have it here right now. It was all movies and their posters and advertisements that never got made. They were like written, they were pushed, they started getting casting, and they just didn't get any further. It's quite fascinating. And I can't imagine what next month's is going to be. So they're just mailing out this these cool zines. Nice. Maybe we should mail out cool zines. <laughs> well, maybe like, we should, although, you know, we both I have think a we'll lot have on to our be plate. In, and I think we have to be in the same city to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'd have to be. Um, which may or may not happen. We'll see, right? Things are happening. Um, what else? I'm going camping. Yes, that's very exciting. I want to, my mission, you know, we, we have a, a young dog here now, Bonnie, who yes. you've met. Yes. And Bonnie is a rescue, and she's come from not great circumstances. And so she came to us with lots of, lots of fears. And yeah. My mission is to help her through all of her fears, oh, and uh, and she's doing great. Yeah. Um, one of the really good things is that she loves all the dogs. So I take her to this wonderful dog park at Jack Darling in Mississauga. Best uh -oh. dog park in the world, in my opinion. Okay. They really built it that. around a, a drinking water treatment plant. And yes. it's, I don't know, is it 50 acres, 60 acres? I don't know. It's huge. It's ridiculous. It's a great idea. It's got tons of paths and different levels and heights and treed areas, rocky mm -hmm. areas, muddy areas. It's got a swampy area. It's like the perfect environment for dogs to, and they're humans, to go out and have fun. And I take yeah. Barney there every day. And he's made friends with first all the dogs. And through all the dogs, he's making friends. She's making friends with all the humans. So then I uh, I had to get my snow tires off. And so I took her to the mechanics and she waited in the waiting room and she was scared of all the noises. But uh -huh. by, by the time the car was ready, she was like, yeah, okay, mechanics are okay. I can handle this. Yeah. So the next thing is I'm going to take her camping so i went on the provincial park website which you know when i was a young man and yes. you wanted to go camping you drive up there and you'd hope there i know was a spot. Well, i know now, you go online and they have photos of every campsite yes. and you look ahead and you yep. you can see what the campsite looks like you know how far away the water is where the bathrooms are yeah yeah we do it all the time yeah our family does it all the time when we go so, camping so and you I, went, I started to look at parks that were within, say, a three-hour drive. Yeah. Which parks have a dog beach? Oh. And smart. I found a, a park called McGregor Point near Kincardine or Port Elgin. And they have oh. two dog beaches. That's and incredible. Thought, that is the park for me. Oh, yes, yes. yes. So we're going to go camping. And she's going to learn about sleeping in a tent and campfires <laughs> and Playing with dogs on the beach and swimming. Wow. Are you going to have a long cord for her at the campsite? or? Yes, I am. I, I bought a 20-foot cord, and I'll attach that to her six-foot 
uh, leash. Yeah, and then onto a tree or something. Yeah, so yeah. she can hang around the campsite without bugging other campers. Yes. Oh, how exciting. I'm so happy for you, and I'm totally feeling FOMO. I don't usually, I do right now. We're going to uh, we're going to go. The long weekend is uh, not this weekend. The following Four. weekend, that yep. what we call here in Canada, the traditional uh, name for it is the May two four weekend. That's right. Some people it's might call it Victoria Day, but everybody right. really calls it the two four. Yeah, and the two and four for American. That's a two four. Yeah, it's it's twenty four case twenty four beer in one case. That's right, and we that's how we, that's how some people buy them here. We buy a two four. Yes. Yeah. So it's the May 2-4 weekend because you're supposed to go and drink. I think that's right. So, yes. Now, so, there's no drinking on the Canadian holiday anymore in the provincial parks. That's on true. Canada. Yeah. That's I'm why I'm going on the Monday. Yes. yes, you are. And I think that's also going to save lives. Save lives? Well, drinking and swimming and, you know. Well, I mean, I don't do much drinking. drinking anyway. Not you. Not you. But... Some people do competitive drinking in those situations. Uh, yes. So I figure, you know, all the partiers will have got home on the Monday right. just when I'm pulling in. Aren't you smart? The Monday, too. I'm just saying the Monday night and the Tuesday night, just really oh. to uh, get away for a couple of days and, and show Bonnie some new things in the world yeah. in her new life. Yeah. yeah. We might go camping if we can stay long enough when we get there in June. We might go camping that long weekend. It's just such a bad weekend to go camping because everything's booked. Anyway, yeah. well, the best time to go camping is, is I think during the week. Right. But if you could do it, not possible. If, you, if you can do it, it's absolutely the best time to go camping is during the week. Um, well, something um, we are getting close to organizing our episode on succession. We're going to have a whole episode on it. I think. Yes. We should probably do it before they finish the season. That's interesting because one of our participants said, shouldn't we wait till they finish it? Ah. I think it doesn't matter either way. And I don't think there's going to be something that's going to happen in the last episodes that changes our feelings about it. Right. Hey, that reminds me, have you checked our email? Because I can't get into our email again. Oh, well, I could probably do that while we're sitting here. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> yeah. keeps blocking me because oh uh, just for the interest of our, of our listeners, you yes. know, it's a Gmail account in two different cities. And yes. if it's always opened in one city, then you open another city, uh, the Gmail folks uh, ask you to um, uh, accept the text with a number. But that's and fucking so bullshit. Do you know why that's bullshit? The internet was supposed to be so you could be anywhere and you don't need to do stuff like that. It's easy access. Yeah, but, you know, there's all these security concerns, right? And I understand that. But, you know, I, no one's going to hack us. Why would you hack us? I know. We're going to read the mail out loud anyway in public. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have a uh, mayoralty election since oh. uh, Mayor John Tory um, uh, was caught having an in inappropriate affair with a staffer 30 years younger than him and embarrassed. He's, go he's, he's resigned and, and went to crawl under a rock somewhere. It, it also could be more than just a morality thing. It, it could actually probably possibly be bordering on illegal. Well, in any workplace, I think it's a conflict of interest. If Correct. if you're Correct. if you're having an affair with somebody who reports Correct. to you, and at the very very least, you have to you know report it. 
you have to say this is what's happening and see right. if there's some way to make it workable which right. i think in a lot of workplaces there's all kinds of arrangements that that work out but anyway he's gone tory's gone and you know yeah. He turned out he was really a do-nothing mayor, in, in my view. He may have been the right mayor for the time because we were coming out of that peculiar brand of chaos known as Rob Ford. Yeah. And we maybe needed some stability. And, yeah. You know, uh, John Tory is a pretty stable, boring corporate executive kind of guy. And I don't know, maybe that was the right thing for a while. But certainly he didn't do anything in his first couple of terms and he right. wanted to stay on like, longer to continue to do nothing but he right. had an answer for everything he became a fast talker oh really well that's so like now they, they called a by-election and this afternoon right about now about a half an hour ago the opportunity to bow out of the race or join the race ended oh. and so we'll know how many uh, contested Sir Arthur Mayor. At That's last confusing. count this morning, there were 88 people running oh. for mayor. <laughs> okay, that's just crazier than even the United States. And, that's and so not only that, but out of 88 people, there's not one that I'm excited to vote right. for. Right. The person well, leading at the polls is one Olivia Chow, who is, has quite a lot of popularity in um, in Toronto. And has some experience being a mediocre city councillor and a mediocre MP. Um, she really didn't shine. I hate to say it, uh, but she appeals to people uh, ideologically because she's known to be the uh, associated with the NDP. Yes. And even though we don't have party politics and municipal politics, um, she, she was secret. married to Jack Layton and. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she has some personal popularity outside of that as well, you know, through her own work. She's she's leading in the polls with maybe enough to win. So yeah. right now, she looks like the front runner. Um, my analysis is she's going to piss off Doug Ford. And that can't be bad, can it? No, it can't be bad. Except that Doug Ford may just cut Toronto out and just screw Toronto because he's he's that kind of vindictive sort of guy so that's a bit of a worry but i mean that's the positive thing uh also on the progressive left is josh matlow uh and he's got an interesting idea um he says the ontario place land is actually owned by the city and mm -hmm. right now our our premier uh doug ford wants to open a spa <laughs> expensive private spa at Ontario Place yes. and he wants to move trash the Science Center build housing at the Science Center of course it's some of the richest property in Toronto and build a new Science Center at Ontario Place right and there are those and you might say they're the conspiracy theorists of the crowd I don't know but there are those who have looked into this, the company running the spa, and they have said that it's a series of shell companies, yes. and it's not clear who's really involved. And they, some people believe that there is a secret plan for the spa to go bankrupt in three or four yes. years. Um, yeah. But there's all this infrastructure. I guess we have to open a casino. Yeah, I guess so. 
So that's the worry, is that there's yes. a secret plan to open a casino. Would Doug Ford do that? Hell, I don't yes. know. Such an awful yes. premier, in my view, in my opinion. Yes. In your, allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, so yes. Josh Matlow, his idea is he wants to give the Ontario Place land in its entirety to the federal government to be protected as a park. Good. I agree with that. And I think that's a brilliant idea. I guess too. Now, Josh Matlow is a seriously irritating human being, and no one on city council likes him. Oh. Apparently. Allegedly. That's Allegedly. what I read. Allegedly. So, if that's true. That's a terrible thing for someone to write. Yes, but it's been... Who wrote that? The Globe and Mail? Who wrote that? wrote that? The Globe and Mail? Everywhere. Everywhere. Oh. Um, he's not a very popular guy. It seems on city council, and that's good and bad. You know, city council is dysfunctional, and so one ought to expect that someone who's not popular is probably a good thing there. Yes. However, you also have to get things done, and you have to be able to garner votes and you know get people together to uh, on issues. And if you have problems working with people, it could be a problem. So. Yeah. I don't know if I want to vote for Josh Matlow. I don't know if I want to vote for Olivia Chow. Yeah. Uh, Mitzi Hunter is a liberal MPP who, as of this morning, it looked like she was going to resign her seat, which she had to do in order to pursue a mayoralty race. Um, would she be a good mayor? Heck, I don't know. Right. Uh, Anna Bailao is running... I don't know. I don't think she'd be a good mayor. There's like all these candidates. The guy I voted for last time was the city planner um, who's right. out of the race this time and has thrown his support behind Olivia Chow. Um, yeah. I suspect that that was just uh, a reality check for him. I, right. I, he wasn't going to win and and so he thought he, he should just support someone who would at least uphold some of his uh, ideas and ideals. Right. So I don't know if you if you have any ideas as to who I should vote for for mayor. Let me know, please. <laughs> I'm open for suggestions. We've got until the 24th of June to figure it out. And if there's any uh, mayoralty candidates listening who want to come on to the agency podcast and uh, talk about all your wonderful ideas, we'll consider it. I'm not yeah. saying we're going to do it. Right. We'll consider it. Right. I like it. So I'm just looking at that list of mayors right now. Yeah, you see anyone interesting? Well, obviously, I'm going to be inclined to the guy who's uh, not popular. And I've only voted NDP my whole life. So, I mean, he's yeah, probably... Yeah, so like Olivia Chow but would probably yeah, be a good pick. He's, yeah, he's um, probably Green Party, I'm guessing. And um, what's his last name again? Matt Lowe. Matlow. M-A-T-L-O-W, I think. Josh. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to look into him. Toronto mayor. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of candidates. Well, it was crazy. I was hoping here. that there was going to be a candidate who was never a city council, who's not part of the city council clique. Right. Uh, who could come at it with some fresh ideas and not be bogged down with the horrible bureaucracy. Right. You know, right. could maybe get things done. Like city council doesn't get things done. Right. They're incapable of getting things done. And, you know, as much as I 
I really don't like our premier at all in just about every respect I can think of. The one yeah. thing he did that I got to say, it wasn't bad. And that is he cut city council in half and nobody noticed the difference. Yeah. You know, but he just took half those politicians and said, we don't need you. And, you know, I don't think there ain't city councils any worse or any better than when we were paying that bunch of councillors. So right. Hey, right. that's not a bad thing. And Again. I it was probably he did it because he was a city councillor and, and saw all the, the horribleness and dysfunction. Um, I mean, but he's dysfunctional too, so... And I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I, I like that whole thing of like, oh, I'll just fire all these people that work in these jobs. I mean, city council, I don't know, maybe it doesn't even matter. I mean, the senators should be turned out. They shouldn't probably be a re retirement job at 100000 or so a year. That seems stupid, but, you know, I don't know. These are very, the problem is it's all such old bogus rules. And the idea that you can do anything in politics is probably an illusion. I'm not sure anybody could do anything. Well, you might be right. You know, it's frozen. There's so much bureaucracy that, you know, good things can't get done. But I, not I think you could do things if you have somebody who has strong leadership qualities. And yeah. by leadership qualities, I mean people follow them. You know, yeah. like, you can't be a leader if you got no one following you. That's just Correct. fundamental. There's lots of people who think they can be leaders, but they have no followers. You have to inspire people. That's for 45 sure. 45 is a horrible human being and was the worst president maybe in, in history, but he was a leader. Why? Because he had 70 million followers who yeah. will vote for him, even though, even though he just lost that civil case. Right, right, right. And and legally has sexually abused somebody. I know. My girl, Jean Carroll, who I used to read her column religiously, faithfully. So good for good for her. And um, she and, up well. And he's she, now... He owes, he's, her, he owes her $5 million. And not only that, he then went on the town hall and repeated all the things he was sued for. And yeah. I heard one of the pundits on, I don't know if it was CNN <laughs> or one of those... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. channels I, I picked up on on the youtube yeah. um saying that she could probably immediately sue him again yeah. and she may not even have to go through the whole lawsuit she I, may be able to just approach the judge and say excuse me judge but you, he me said he was guilty of saying all these things yeah. and now he's saying them all over again yes and yes. she's apt to get another five million i know right <laughs> It's hilarious and right. good for and, I mean, it looks like it looks like the Trump empire is imploding before our very eyes. I hope so. And he seems to just be getting crazier and crazier. We'll it see what crazy. it does in the broader American context, huh? Because yeah. yeah. there still are 70 million people who are all packing heat who voted for him. Right, right. It's all right. Crazy darn scary. There's a lot of other people packing heat too, so they'll and they definitely would fight. <laughs> that is scary. Uh John Josh Matlow is liberal, so I would not vote for him. Okay. Sorry. I don't like liberals either. I don't like anybody. <laughs> there you go. It's hard being an anarchist. Well, if you were to vote for a liberal, I think you're better to, to vote for Mitzi Hunter. Yeah. 
I would say. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, right now I'm leaning to uh, Olivia Chow, although I find Olivia Chow to not be a very effective politician. But and I would say she's a leader. She is a leader. She does have followers. Yeah. That's for sure. And, and that's she's why she's have, probably going to win. And she's uh, going to have some of the brightest, hottest, hippest people. I hope so. I, I hope so, because so. so far her her <laughs> campaign has been, hi, I'm Olivia Chow. I know. I know. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. No one, no one has any idea what she wants to do. I know. She better. She better. She better start putting some mandates out. Uh, but she's she's running on the fact that uh, she's got some history, and uh, some people are going to want her in there. And well, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe she'll be a good mayor. No. I, I hope so. If she gets in, I don't know. well, the mayor thing here was crazy. There was also a ton of candidates, and the way they do it here is that. It evened out. The votes got all divided because there were so many candidates. So then they picked the top two, and it's called a runoff. And then quite they have to arm wrestle. No, but um, I, don't match? Any, I don't think anybody expected the person to win who won. Um, he was like a an oddball in the race. A former. He's got a master's in education. He's black. He's very personable, and he was running against somebody who seemed like they were going to steal the whole election. Well, they didn't steal it. Brandon Johnson won. And so that was pretty interesting. Vallis got caught on a talk show saying that what was happening to Trump was a witch hunt. And it caught up with him. Somebody found it somewhere and brought it out just before the second election. And... Uh, you know, he had been saying he was a Democrat, but he really uh, spoiled his uh, chances there. And he's he's just a bullshit, another bullshit Chicago politician, you know. Anyway, he did not get elected, I'm happy to say. And I mean, a lot of people are really freaked out about the new guy. And I'm like, I love him because he's not he's kind of he was defund the police, although I think he's mellowed on that. But, you know, definitely a very vivacious person. Should One of the people running for mayor here is Mark Saunders, the former police chief. And um, he's running on more law and order, more police. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And that doesn't seem to be what we need. No, no, no. Oh, and Bernie Sanders showed up to support Brandon. So that helped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that helped. And I know I've watched some other shows here. I don't know what they are. I don't know. I'm going to start watching The Diplomat because it kind of looked interesting. You know, um, no, everything else is just not that interesting for me to mention in my notes. <laughs> Did you, uh, were you able to access our email? There was no email. I'm sorry. So if you'd like to email us, we would love to hear from you. We are back. We are strong. We are semi-intelligent, but it's not an artificial intelligence by any means. <laughs> um, we're home-cooked. We're slow-cooked. Sometimes we're cooked, and, and sometimes, so, we're cooked. sometimes you know, sometimes like we've been known to have a scotch or two. Um, oh, true. Podcast, and so actually, it could be a little loud. You could call that. Actually, I got cooked last week. I got baked. I felt my edibles. I was <laughs> edibles uh, last weekend with Andy. Oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. We went out for a fabulous dinner at a place called Machine, where they had fancy cocktails. I've been there before, and I wanted him to see it. And then I, I took him to a private club. In the neighborhood, Ooh. he was like, I don't need to watch Roseanne again now. 
It was definitely old time Midwest working class bar. Nice. And yeah, and then we re, we tra- tromped along around in Wicker Park and visited some places he lived in when he did live here. And I know Andy from being online in a book club uh, called Constant Reader many years ago. And then we found out we were both in Chicago and uh, and uh, we started hanging out. And in fact, most of the people I know in Chicago, I met through my connection to Andy, you know, unofficially, because then I ended up working at Old Town School of Folk Music and, you know, met a lot of people there. So it's kind of, you know, my meeting Andy in person spawned a whole bunch of friendships here. So it's kind of cool. cool. We had a great time. And then we went to Bruna's restaurant for some Italian food. And we had a great bottle of Volpacana. It was delicious. Um, really, really good. And we got home and I passed out. <laughs> Between the edibles and the whole bottle of wine, I was toasted. Right on. That was great. You probably had a good, uh, good rest. Very good time. Lots of great conversation. Um, he's such a talented, creative thinker. We just had a great time. Yeah, that's it. And I'll post some photos, maybe on our Patreon page, maybe on Facebook. I got to get to it and add it. I'm I'm way behind, so I'm going to play major catch up. We've had a lot of changes for a while. As we haven't done anything in the comfort food diner for a while. I know. I know. I've you been know making what I made the other the other night that was really nice. This was by request from. Sheila, um, and that was for some corn chowder. Oh, I love corn chowder, yeah. And I was in Starsky's, and they had some roasted roasted rosemary bacon, and I bought Ooh. a chunk of this. And while Sheila is a sort of vegetarian, um, roasted rosemary bacon in corn chowder is an exception that's acceptable. Okay, Yes, it's smoked. So it's in the kielbasa broader family, and everyone yeah. knows kielbasa is a vegetable. It is a vegetable because yes. of its high garlic content. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so I made this corn chowder, and I started by rendering. Um, I diced this bacon, and I rendered it, and mm. um, then I I cooked some. Um, I I sautéed some uh, uh, chopped up uh, potatoes. And uh, corn from Cobb, and I had previously made some uh, stock, so I had some stock ready, and um, I put in a few different vegetables that I had on hand, uh, and then I added some flour to it, and I made a roux, and it's the variety of roux that you make with the vegetables cooking, as opposed to before you add anything, um, and then I added uh, stock cold stock you want to add cold liquid to your to your roux to avoid lumping and it was this wonderful thick beautiful rich smoky rosemary tinged chowder yeah sounds amazing eugene it was really really good i'm recommending it i don't have an exact recipe because i kind of made it up as i went along those ingredients will do it you know if you have something like a uh, like a, a really nice smoked bacon to start with. I think that, mm-hmm. unless of course you're the kind of vegetarian that actually only eats vegetables, uh, <laughs> which I know is most of you, well, then you can scrap that and instead use a little bit of smoked paprika to get that smokiness. 
Ooh, good idea. Yeah. Uh, and lots of fresh corn and potatoes. Peas are nice in it. Whatever you like, some onions or shallots, whatever you have on hand. Excellent. It's super delicious. And we were having a rainy spell a week or so ago here. It's beautiful now, but it was just raining and raining and raining and raining. And I just felt like something that was like a soup. And and Sheila asked for the corn chowder, so I made it. It's really good. Great. Of course, some fresh, crusty bread with it. Well, in two weeks, we had winter. At one in the morning when I came home from work, I had to scrape ice off of the windshield of my car. And then we've had 80 degrees or 30 degrees, 30 Celsius. And then we've had rain. I mean, it is so insane the weather that we've had in Chicago in the last two weeks. Today, rain. Oh, it's beautiful here. But we had so much rain. I was <laughs> thinking maybe I should start building an ark in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. Put the dogs um, and cats in there. I, I had problems with this. First of all, I don't know how big a cubit is. That's true. Right? And until you figure that out, I mean, how do you know how big the ark should be? And, and I don't even know if, like, you could fit an ark in, in my backyard, really, without, like, wrecking the plants and stuff. Well, Plus. I, and, yeah, and I can answer those questions. Oh, yeah? Because the ark, the Noah's ark is a metaphor. It's a, it is a mem art of memory. It's a mnemotechnic. It's likely that it's Mount Arafat making a pointed on the night sky. And that's the ark. And as the animals go in, that they're touching, when the animals touch the point of that mountain is when it's hunting season. So, oh, so I animals, mean, I don't have to buy nails and I don't have to no, sex snakes. No, no, no. I was worried buy, about that. I don't know how to sex Mount snakes. Arafat. So there are lots a, of animals there. I don't know how to sex them. Yes, and those animals are called they're constellations. Ah, that's better. Get it? So I like this. I like this version better. Yes, yeah. it's less work. Yes, and it's it's a memory system, artificial intelligence sitting right there in nature. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, we used to go. My my parents had a business making aluminum windows in uh, in an area of the the city called the Junction, and mm -hmm. they didn't have daycare when I was a kid. They would mm -hmm. take me into their window shop and they would turn me loose to play with the delinquents that hung out in the laneways, which was great <laughs> fun because they were great kids. Well, there were some railroad kids. tracks back there. There were railroad tracks back there. Okay. We would okay. go back and we would put pennies on yeah. and we'd never tell the parents that we were going to the, oh. the railroad tracks. Oh, my God. So yeah, we used to go there. Yeah. And when the train's coming, we would run to the tracks and we would put pennies on the track. And then the train would come. And if you had the pennies set up just right, some of the pennies would get flattened. Correct. You get these wonderful flattened so pennies. Cool. And that was a prize because it showed that you were there and you were putting pennies on the railway track. Yes. So we used to go back there. And there was, there was a fellow back there who was... <laughs> I don't know if you would if you would say he was a hobo, a tramp, or a bum. Okay. I don't know. Now my definition is from is from Utah Phillips, the golden right. voice of uh, okay. the great Southwest. He said that um, hobos work and wander. Uh -huh. um, bums drink and wander. <laughs> Tramps dream and wander. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful definition? So yeah. I don't know if this guy was a hobo, a bum, or a tramp. 
right. I, I he was living going. out there in the train yards, and he started to build an ark out of pallets. <laughs> and apparently, oh, wow. he thought the flood was coming, the great flood, and he was going to gather up all the animals. And he thought that he would just, you know, the flood would come, and he would start floating, and he would float down Mariah Avenue. Um, to Runnymede, across Runnymede, down to Bloor, over to Windermere, and down to Lake Ontario, and there you go. He's on the open, the open Fabulous. lake. Well, Fabulous. he started building this thing, and he was at it for a really long time. Now, my memory of this is a little bit vague. I was a little kid at the time, yeah, and I just remember he was building. And I <laughs> told me all about how he was building an ark, and then yes. finally, like the train cops busted him and Aww. shut him down and wouldn't let yeah. him build his ark anymore. Yeah. I have Which to make a quick correction right now before I forget. Not Mount Arafat, Mount Ararat. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Arafat was Yasser. Yes, I don't mean that. I meant Ararat. God, I don't know how I even caught myself <laughs> up now. Hey, I've just prevented us getting some email. Well, you know, I'm okay with people correcting us because you can yes, correct I everything I say on this podcast. I know. Go ahead. Please correct. You must correct because sometimes I just walk in there not knowing what I'm doing. It's like 99% of the time. I was pushing my friend Ted's buttons the other day. Oh, that's said, not right. He said, you, you don't even him? believe that. You're just trying to stir me up. Oh, wow. Was he right? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Maybe just a teensy bit, right? Well, sometimes there's people who really do enjoy. They kind of, um, I say steak. He loves to be um, argumentative. He likes to just say no, and then it starts conversation for him, you know? It's a conversation starter, if you will. Plus, you know, sometimes sometimes Ted will lob something over the plate, and you got to hit the home run. But I, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, now, where would you email us? You would email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Email Good. us now. Stop what email you're doing. Us now. Email us now. Yes, and we will well, read it. Should next we week. wait? Should we have a, a pause while they email us? Yeah. All right. Ten wait. second pause. All right. I know we should concoct an email right now while we're. We talked here. during the pause. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> here we were doing deliberate dead oh, air, and you wrecked it. I know that was my that was my see a default training in journalism. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's well, great, great, great to have an episode because we really is great. To, get it, to get it together to get an episode happening. I know my and, fault, and I'm and sorry. We haven't had that. any technical problems, which kind of looks like it was your Wi-Fi, kind of. I said it was my Wi-Fi yeah. for sure. I put my desktop on the Wi-Fi, and with a full computer, you nailed it. You were right when you texted me. That's exactly what the problem is. Because as soon as I hooked it up to the Ethernet, I'm fine. Yes, we haven't had any problems at all. And, you know, all we need is some uh, some listeners out there. So tell your friends. Yes, please. Share on social media. If you like what you hear, tell somebody, please. If you think we'll we're jerks, tell you somebody. Pretty soon. You know, we're going to have this. We're going to do a whole episode that's a panel discussion yes. on succession. Yes, we're we are. Kenny and I are arm wrestling as to who gets to MC it. Oh, I thought that I should because it's your show. Well, I thought that I should because you're the Succession fan. <laughs> Don't you like Succession? I never would have watched it in a million years if you hadn't encouraged me. I think it's genius. I think it's brilliant. But I mean, 
how many times do we have to learn that um, assholes with money are going to stay assholes with money? Well, that's true. I mean, I guess we have to learn it as many times as we had to have a Greek monster that Medea tore apart because he was a robot and Frankenstein and the Terminator. I guess we're so stupid. We have to keep telling these stories to ourselves. And in this season, we're just learning how really all of the characters are bankrupt. Yeah. Well, they can't not be because I, I don't mean monetarily bankrupt. I mean, no. you know, morally and intellectually bankrupt. Right. They're capitalists. How could they be anything else? <laughs> I guess so, huh? I believe that's it. And listen, I think it's a fantastic show. I would call it evil Seinfeld, except Seinfeld, they were evil on that show too. So it just was a little funnier. But Succession, once I realized it was a comedy, I enjoyed it so much more. So the, it took me about three episodes to realize it was a comedy. I thought it was a drama. But then I realized, oh, it's a comedy. It's hilarious. And I've been watching it again, by the way. And I'm enjoying it a lot more. The humor is even more evident. Have you um, caught up to where they're at now? Yes. Will Farrell is one of the producers, one of the great comics of the world. And Adam McKay, who's done many, many funny movies and stories. So it really is a comedy. It's almost like a Scandinavian improv. In Scandinavia, they don't do comedy. They, they, they had a comedy for serious. Do you know what I'm saying? So you would do drama improv. And this feels like it's like, a, like instead of a comic improv, it's a dramatic yeah, it's, improv. It is. It's like, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a comedic drama in which they play everything straight. Totally. And I think it's 10 out of 10. I think it's one of the greatest shows. It's brilliant. I probably wouldn't have watched it without the encouragement of others. And I'm glad I have. I'm glad I have. But when I heard about it, I was like, I don't care about them. You know, and you don't yeah, care. But, but once you start watching, you get drawn yeah. in. Yeah, they're entertaining. That's for sure. Uh, meanwhile, I guess we're, we're just about at the end of this episode, but I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the passing of one of the great Canadian songwriters of our mm -hmm. time. Certainly when I was growing up, uh, the Gordon Lightfoot songbook really informed so many things in my life. I, uh, his songs were all around us. Mm -hmm. and my dad, my dad, my father and mother loved him. So I grew up listening to him from my parents. So it was very, yeah, I was really, I went really into a kind of a nostalgia this week. I, I, I felt that too, you know, I, I would hear Sundown and The Wreck of the Edmund yeah. Fitzgerald and um, even some of the, the older tunes like um, Early Morning Rain and yes. Pussy Willow's yes. Cattails. Yes. Really a, quite a remarkably prolific Yes. An interesting songwriter, and I think a pretty troubled human. Yes, I would agree with what you've said. I think what's interesting is that he wrote some songs that were so insanely poignant and, and, and important to Americana. And, you know, it's kind of funny that the Edmund Fitzgerald and Black Day in July, he really was tapped into being able to be a storyteller. And I, I post on Facebook, I consider his songs cinematic. They really have little worlds in them. Oh, that you yeah. Can bring your and, own story to. And you know, even if he had only written the Canadian Railroad trilogy, I would consider his career a success yes. Yes. because I could listen to that song a hundred times in a row and never get bored. It's wow. just uh I hope you put it on perfect. the end. I hope you put it on the end of this uh, podcast. Uh, maybe I will. For educational purposes. I think no, we could do that for education. I felt purposes. very nostalgia. I thought about my father. I thought about, I was taken back to like kind of a pure time when my parents were still together. 
and playing that music. And it was, it was very, very nice. And I mean, the Edmund Fitzgerald used to be one of my world favorite songs. I mean, it's epic. I haven't listened to it. I haven't even listened to it since he died, but I will one of these days, but I, at work, I had my speaker and I just was playing all these Gordon Lightfoot songs just in my little cubicle. And it was really great. Yeah. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down to the Great Lake they call Kichigubi. Oh my God. Brilliant. It just I I get um, chills chills when I just when I when I hear it, and I know when it was played it was just played to death. And I mean some people just like oh. God don't play that damn song again. Oh, I never got tired of it. Jenny and I love that song. I ne we never got tired of it. Never. I don't know no, why. I if, listen, I if you listen to it back to back with Bob Dylan's North Country Blues, oh. it's quite interesting, and it's what happens in folk music is it share they share a melody and yes. i don't think that either gord nor bob wrote that melody i think it comes from somewhere older and deeper uh, uh but it's the same it's basically the same melody so so are you saying they made it up <laughs> somebody made it up how'd you write that song they made it up well i think that's how people do write songs yes 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 and then you're right it was in their g it was in their collective memory you know, I, I went to see uh, Arlo Guthrie. You know? Yes, yes, and, I've seen him too. Wonderful. Um, and and Arlo was talking about songwriting, and yeah. he said that he was writing a letter to his friend Bob Dylan about songwriting, and <laughs> and he said, Bob, you know, songwriting's a lot like fishing. You throw the bait out, and if you have the right kind of bait, and you throw it out to the right spot, and all the conditions are perfect, bam, you get a hit. Awesome. And then he said, now I wonder, Bob, if maybe you could throw the little ones back. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> it's pretty cool. On that note, uh, we're going to be back at you soon. And it's, you know, it's good to have a have a podcast today, isn't it? Yes, it is good to have a podcast. I missed you, Eugene. And thanks for your patience. And thank you all for listening. We love you. We'll be back at you soon. Take care. Bye.